What's up, everybody? Welcome back to New York Undercover Rewind, the podcast that discusses all things related to the TV show New York Undercover. I'm your host, Chris Rose. And as always, thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe, like, rate, and review us. In May 1994, the show, then titled Uptown Undercover, was ordered to series by the Fox Network. Now, the title had a double meaning. Uptown represented not only the series' Harlem setting, but it was also named for Andre Harrell's Uptown Records. Despite this, it was soon decided to replace the word Uptown with New York instead. The program's new title was now New York Undercover. It makes sense why the title was changed. From a branding standpoint, when people hear the word New York, they typically think New York City. Big city, bright lights. It's very specific and helps identify and center the show very quickly. Typically, once a show is picked up to series, a writer's room is assembled with key producers and their writing staff establishing storylines and story arcs. Key writers for the series' first few episodes included Dick Wolf, Kevin Arcady, Natalie Chidez, Reggie Rock by the Wood, and Charles Holland. Officially, the show was created by Dick Wolf and Kevin Arcady. While the writers worked through storylines and filming on the first season commenced on location in New York City, the Fox Network marketing team spent the summer of 94 introducing the show to viewers, releasing a series of promos telling us that, quote, this isn't just another cop show, end quote, and that the show follows in, quote, the tradition of Hill Street Blues and NYPD Blue, end quote. Another promo, titled Trust, was told from Torres's point of view. It plays up the fact that despite his and Williams' backgrounds, he has his partner's back. By September of 1994, it was showtime. Now remember in our previous podcast episode, we discussed how the NFL and Fox launched in September of 1994. That would premiere on Sunday, September 4th, four days before New York Undercover's Thursday, September 8th series premiere and would serve as a promotional platform for the new series. So let's start digging into episodes, and before I do, I want to caveat one important thing. The New York Undercover episode that premiered on September 8th was entitled School Ties, but it was not the first episode filmed. The first episode filmed was actually the pilot, and that episode aired in week two on September 15th. And if you're wondering why the pilot did not air first, this is not uncommon in the TV industry. Oftentimes, the look or feel of the show changes from the pilot to the first few episodes filmed after the pilot. And as you'll see, this holds true for New York Undercover as well. And by the way, before we get into the pilot discussion, just want to remind if you want to watch or rewatch some of the New York Undercover episodes, all four seasons are available to stream on both Peacock and Amazon Prime Video. So let's discuss the pilot. The episode description courtesy of tvmaze.com, reads, quote, Kids working for an auto theft ring steal the car of a mobster's mother. J.C.'s ex-girlfriend wants to send their son to a private school, end quote. The episode is directed by the actor-director Bill Duke and written by Dick Wolf and Kevin Arcady. The opening seconds of the episode immediately established a tone of what viewers will come to see in each cold open for the majority of the series. Crime being committed, set to the sounds of a prominent musical artist, usually in the world of hip-hop and R&B. It's very similar to a music video and caters to viewers who are accustomed to watching videos on BT, 
MTV and VH1 at the time. We first see an African-American teenager named Mark, played by actor Sean Nelson, sitting in a classroom daydreaming as the Lost Boys straight from the ghetto plays over the action. Later see Mark and his older African-American teenage friend Scooter eyeing a Jaguar sports car that has been parked by a doctor at a hospital in Harlem. Teenagers break into the car, hotwire the Jaguar, and drive away, only to be seen and followed by two NYPD officers in their own car. A chase ensues, a police car crashes into a pile of garbage, teenagers get away in the Jaguar, and we fade to black with the opening credits rolling with the familiar New York Undercover theme song, composed by the legendary James and Toomey. In the credits, we see images of Yoba, DeLorenzo, and DeArbonville. Fun fact, in the opening credits, Yoba's name is shown first in every other episode, and the same holds true for DeLorenzo. In this particular episode, Yoba's name is first. After the commercial break, we get into Act 1. The first scene after the commercial break finds us at a gambling spot where we find Detective Eddie Torres working undercover at a craps table and ignoring the pages on his beeper from his partner, Detective J.C. Williams. After Torres meets up with Williams outside the club, Williams lights into Torres and tells him when he beeps him, he better pick up. There seems to be a little bit of tension between the two. Both detectives, in plain clothes, head to the hospital to meet with a doctor whose Jaguar was stolen. Despite the detectives telling the doctor that the parts for the car are worth more on the street and that he should call his insurance company, the doctor insists that they need to find his car. In the next scene, we find the two teenagers, Mark and Scooter, receiving money from an older man named Donald, played by Clarence Williams Jr. of Mod Squad fame. Now, he gives them money for boosting the car and and they tell him that they had no trouble, failing to mention that they escaped the police. Scooter is clearly the ringleader of the duo, while Mark mentions he just wanted to do karate. Outside on the street, Mark receives his share of money from Scooter. And Scooter tells him, now that's respect. Back at the precinct, we meet Lieutenant Virginia Cooper for the first time, and we learn that there have been a string of car thefts recently. Also learn that the doctor at the hospital is related to the deputy mayor, and that the heat is on Cooper to solve the case, despite Williams and Torres' protests. Cooper tells them in exasperation, Look, I'm on the job 18 years and they give me a two-hour commute uptown. You hear me, bitchin'? The next scene finds Scooter visiting the church where his grandfather is a minister to give him a gift. It is clear that the grandfather knows his grandson is up to illegal activity and draws a parallel to Scooter's father who seems to be out of the picture. He urges Scooter to come to Sunday service, but Scooter is non-committal. The following scene finds us back with Williams and Torres in the squad room. And here's a fun fact, the squad room scenes are actually shot on the Law & Order set which is not uncommon for a pilot to be shot on another TV show set. And it makes economic sense since Dick Wolf ran both series. In the scene, we learn that Chantel, the mother of Williams' son, Gregory, a.k.a. G, needs $100 more per month from J.C. to send G to a private school named Woodbridge. Williams is worried about G being in a school with a bunch of rich white kids, while Torres pushes back and tells him it's important for G to get his smarts. Williams also confesses that he doesn't have the money. 
We later meet Chantal, a nurse, and Jean when she drops G off at JC's brownstone apartment. Here's another fun fact. In the pilot episode only, JC lives in this brownstone. In all future episodes, he lives in an apartment building. After taking a car from the police impound lot to entice the thieves to steal it, Torres decides that he will use the car for his own personal use at night and drives his lady friend Gina, played by Elizabeth Rodriguez of Orange is the New Black and Power fame, to the nightclub Natalie's. Natalie is played by the Empress of Soul, Gladys Knight. Eddie speaks to her to avoid a confrontation between Gina and his other lady friend, Victoria. He also learns from Natalie that his father, Mike, has been out of drug rehab for six months and recently played at the Blue Note Jazz Club. Eddie goes to see him. His father, played by Jose Perez, is a saxophonist, whom he has not seen in a while. It mentions that he heard Eddie is a cop now and says he must not be boosting cars anymore, alluding to the fact that Eddie used to steal cars. The following day, Williams and Torres are on a stakeout and see the two teenagers breaking into the Porsche. They approach the car with guns drawn, but are stopped by NYPD officers who believe detectives are committing a crime. This allows the teenagers to get away in the Porsche, but not before crashing and ditching the car. Fade to black. Act 2 opens with the teenagers meeting with Donald again and letting him know they were unable to successfully get him the Porsche. They promise they will make it up to him, and he says they need to get him a Mercedes station wagon. Set to the sounds of Queen Latifah's Just Another Day, detectives canvass the neighborhood with a sketch rendering of one of the teens, Scooter. They finally come upon a character named Slick Rick, played by Victor Colicchio. Rick is a street informant who is pretending to be blind and begs folks on the street for money. They ask him what he has heard about a teenage car thieves, and he mentions the name Donald Brooks to them. Side note, this would be the first of seven appearances in season one by Colicchio. After that, he would never appear on the show again. Detectives back at the squad room learned from old school, an older detective at the precinct, that Donald Brooks has a long rap sheet, but is very slick and tends to get off. They visit Brooks at the youth center he runs, and he denies knowing anything about the car thefts. He smugly mentions that he has just been named Man of the Year, and sarcastically invites them to his upcoming awards dinner. Later in the day, J.C. goes to visit his lawyer girlfriend Sandy at her apartment. Set to Shaka Khan's sweet thing, J.C. and Sandy have a steamy makeout session in the shower and discuss J.C.'s worries about G. attending Woodbridge including his belief that G will lose his identity and sense of self. He also refuses to take money from Sandy to help pay for the tuition. The next scene finds the teens attempting to steal the Mercedes station wagon that Donald Brooks coveted. In doing so, Scooter gets into a struggle with the elderly owner of the car and she falls to the ground while the teens drive off with her car. After Torres and Williams arrive, they learn the elderly victim's last name is Santushi, as in the widow of a Gambino crime family capo and the daughter of mobster John Santucci. Upon hearing this and knowing what this means to the fate of the teens, JC says, those kids are dead. Fade to black. Now before we continue with the recap, it's time for a trivia question. 
Actor Sean Nelson, who plays Mark in the pilot episode, was the lead actor in what 1994 theatrical film? The answer is coming at you at the end of this episode. Now, back to the show. Act 3 opens back at the station house and we learn that Mrs. Santucci's hip is broken. We also learn that Torres grew up in the same neighborhood as John Santucci, and they have a prior history together. John Santucci, played by John Constello of The Sopranos fame, visits Donald Brooks at his office and tells him his mother's hip is broken, and he knows everything Brooks has been doing. Brooks denies knowing anything about the Mercedes step until John Santucci takes out his gun and holds it to Brooks's chin. Brooks gives him the names of the two teens and tells him the car will be returned to him in the morning. The next scene finds Torres and Santucci meeting, and Torres asking Santucci not to hurt the teens. Torres says he has a soft spot for kids to remind him of him at that age. G and JC are relaxing at home and playing checkers, and G says he doesn't want to go to Woodbridge and be turned into a sissy. Scooter dressed for church, and with a Bible in his hand, gets into a car driven by an unknown individual and is later found dead in an alleyway, likely killed by a Santucci henchman. The detectives visit Brooks and let him know Scooter is dead, and that it is Brooks's fault. Fade to black. Act 4. The detectives confront Mark's mom, played by Adina Porter, and tell her they need to find him before he ends up dead find him and bring him to Santucci's bedside in the hospital. Side note, Vincent Pastor, who would later play Big Pussy on The Sopranos, has an unspoken cameo as one of Santucci's men standing outside the hospital room. Mark tells Mrs. Santucci what has happened, and when she learns Scooter is dead, she tells her son John that the family is not in the business of killing children. Later, Mark admits to an ADA that he boosted the car that Brooks drives, providing the detectives enough evidence to be able to arrest him which they do in the middle of his Man of the Year dinner speech. However, Brooks' attorney is quite slick and is able to substantiate every claim the detectives in ADA make. Brooks is free to go. Meanwhile, G has run away from home and ends up at Sandy's apartment. Turns out that G has been accepted to Woodbridge but doesn't want to go unless JC wants him to. Sandy makes some suggestions to JC of ways he can better connect with G and save money in order to pay the extra $100 per month, such as eating out less, canceling cable television, etc. The next scene finds Brooks arriving at his youth center, only to be killed point-blank by a Santucci assassin. Cameo by director Bill Duke as the assassin. The final scene of the show is a tender father-son moment between J.C. and G. And G encouraging him to attend Woodbridge. He tells G that he can go as far as he wants in the world. But don't forget who he is and don't forget J.C. G notices the sketch rendering of Scooter in J.C.'s jacket pocket and asks who the person is. J.C. says it is a young man whose old man was not there for him. And G. says, that'll never be me. They both say I love you to each other. And the episode fades to black. The end. Overall, I give this episode an A. The pilot does a really good job of providing enough information about the personal lives of the detectives. 
while also balancing it with the case of the week. And if you think about it, the episode is really about fathers and sons. JC's strong connection to his son, G, Eddie reconnecting with his father, Mike, and Scooter without any father in his life and the tragic consequences that ensued. Now, before we go, let's go back to the trivia question I asked earlier. Actor Sean Nelson, who plays Mark in the pilot episode, was the lead actor in what 1994 theatrical film? The answer is fresh. Now, that's our time for this show, everybody. I'm Chris Rose. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe, like, rate, and review us. And don't forget to send me an email with your thoughts to New York Undercover Rewind at gmail.com. Pot out. I'm going to